within these walls, let us listen. And let us listen now to the Word of God as it comes to us from the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew and from the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And then from the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? And so, Lord, within these walls we come to listen and to pray and to hear, to hear your word. So quiet within us any voice but your own, that we may hear your word, and that we may be open to the living God. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said earlier, this is the last of our 10 at 10 summer worship services, and therefore we're dealing with the last of the Ten Commandments, the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet. And in some ways, I think we've saved the most difficult for the last. This spring, I was informed by the most important women in my life that they had a plan for attending a luncheon and the Pasadena Garden Tour. But that plan included me, Grandpa, watching my two grandsons for the afternoon while they went off together to the garden tour. So off they went for lunch, and I loaded the youngest of the two boys into that baby sling they call a baby Bjorn. So he was right in front, and the other one I placed in a stroller called a Bob. And off we went to Lacey Park to play at the playground. Now the stroller that we have was a used one we picked up a couple of years ago and it's one of those strollers with the big wheels so that you can run with this stroller and whoever the former owner was must have done a lot of running because this one was old and used and looked like it had been left outside so the canvas was all faded and so I got down to the playground began to push my grandson on the swings and watch him on the slide. And then I, I couldn't help but notice all these beautiful young mothers 
with baby strollers that I imagine must have been produced by Lexus and Mercedes-Benz. And by comparison, the little Bob stroller that I had looked like a ghetto machine. <laughs> then I looked at what they were wearing, and they were all, their, their children and these mothers were all decked out to the nines with the most and latest fashions. Here I had thrown on a 10-year-old pair of cargo shorts. This ghetto grandpa with these two kids... And I began to imagine these mothers wondering how this guy even got into the park and why they don't check for licenses and residents during the week at Lacey Park and not just the weekend. And it, it began to occur to me that this is precisely what my kids feel whenever they go out with their children. You have to keep up with the latest kids' safety issues and the parent fashions or you begin to feel somehow inadequate as a mother and a father. The stroller is not safe enough. The car is not large enough or new enough. And before you know it, you begin to experience this kind of inordinate desire for things. Things that belong to others. And I sat there that afternoon at the playground coveting those strollers. <laughs> it isn't just parents who feel this kind of stuff, of course. What about those children at the playground? John Killinger tells the story of a teacher in England who tried a little experiment with ten children in her classroom. She gave each one a different toy. And then she left them alone and she recorded their behavior for the next 15 minutes from a hidden vantage point. Within 60 seconds, two of the children were pulling at the other children's toys, while a third child greedily collected the toys that the other two had discarded. And at the end of one quarter, of an hour, three children were in possession of two toys each, three had none, two had different toys from the ones with which they began the experiment, and two were huddled in the corner clutching the toys they were giving, warily eyeing the other children. Desire. It is so human. But when that desire begins to run over the banks that contain it, it can become so destructive. You remember the hurricane a few years ago that hit the Gulf of Mexico, and with it came this great ocean surge that overwhelmed the dikes that protected the city of New Orleans. Now, water is a good thing. We need more of it in the state of California right now, it's necessary for life. But you can have too much of a good thing. And it overwhelms the containment system and it leads to tragedy. And perhaps if you were paying attention to the news this week, as I was, you saw the story about the hackers who have revealed the email addresses of the people who are customers of a website called Ashley Madison. 
One night on the evening news as we were watching, there was news, a news story that told of this email hacking and the public disclosure of these emails. Ashley Madison is a website that people go to to have affairs with other people. 32 million subscribers. And their emails have been made public. On the website, the advertisement says, Life is short. Have an affair. Well, the next night, the news coverage of the story was no longer about just the hacking. But they were interviewing a divorce attorney who was really quite gleeful about this. He and others like him... We're looking forward to a rather uh, robust fall of activity. Among the 32 million would-be cheaters, many of whom were stupid enough to use their work emails for the purposes of philandering, were up to 15,000 who might work for the United States government or the military who used their .gov emails. Thou shall not covet, not your neighbor's house, not your neighbor's wife, not anything that belongs to your neighbor. Wow. <laughs> People could sure save themselves a lot of heartache and hassle if they just obeyed this commandment. If they just lived within the constraints of the covenant that God has called us to. Adam and Eve wanted fruit from the one tree they were warned not to eat from in the Garden of Eden. Cain was jealous of Abel's blessing. Jacob wanted Esau's inheritance. Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. David wanted Uriah's wife. James and John wanted first place in the kingdom of God. And psychologically... I think this might be the most impossible commandment to keep. Really, who among us can help envying the situations and the possessions of people around us? We live in this consumer culture that has mastered the art of coveting. And we all feel some sense of entitlement course doesn't that sort of drive that desire within us improve our situation often i mean if people didn't want better things would we have made the kinds of advances that we've made in medicine in science in technology and transportation would we have this kind of computer revolution the internet that we use now would we have solar energy would we have the great arts and great literature if we didn't have desire so what are we really talking about here well it seems to me coveting has to do with what i want and how much i want and what i'm prepared to do to get what i want it has to do with wanting what my neighbor has 
when I already have enough. And this warning has something to do with refusing to be satisfied with what I have. Someone once said about our society, enough in this culture is always more. That puts it starkly. But it's so subtle. Like my experience down at Lacey Park at the playground with a ghetto stroller. We're talking about a view of life where my wants can keep me from accepting myself as I am. My wants force me to make a grim comparison of myself with someone else, someone who has arrived where I want to get. And then I torture myself knowing that he or she has what I hope to be or want to get. Seldom do I stop to think, really, once that whole process begins, of whether this other person's goals ought to be my goals or whether their goals would really satisfy me. What I do is I think that if I could just be as talented or as strong or as handsome or as intelligent or as confident, well, I'd be satisfied with myself then. So really, what, what makes me so sure that I'd be happier if I were someone else? My wants subtly lead me to question the wisdom of God creating me as I am. And I can go on chronically feeling underprivileged in my own eyes. So where can we begin? Well, we can believe here that God has created the world good. And we can believe that God has put lots of good things in the world. And I can believe that God built me so that I desire those good things. So how much territory really is covered in this prohibition, you shall not covet? What constitutes a life-desiring that's disrupting of the good things God intends. People and whole societies get into all sorts of trouble when they amass and want more things they can possibly use. You remember the story of the rich man in the New Testament that Jesus talked about, the farmer? He had a bumper crop one year. So he planned to pull down his small barns and build bigger and new super barns to hold everything. And you've got to wonder, what made him greedy and ambitious? Had he coveted the wealth and power of a neighbor at some point during the lean years? Was he trying 
to prove something to himself or maybe to his wife or his parents or his children. Soul, he said to himself, you have plenty laid up for years to come. Eat, drink, and be merry. What a pity. What a pity. He mistook his stomach for his soul. Some of us might be feeling a little concerned about our portfolios this weekend. This downturn in the markets this week. The Dow has moved from a bull territory to a bear territory. What will this next week bring? You see, most of the things we covet enlarge our bank accounts. They enlarge our real estate holdings, they enlarge our stomachs, our influence in the community, but they don't enlarge our souls. The things we covet diminish our souls. In the play, The Morning After the Miracle, John Macy tells Helen Keller and Ann Sullivan that the book they're writing together will make them rich. Helen Keller puts her arms around John and Ann and says, We are rich. We have each other. This commandment to not covet is meant for us to see that if we love God and we put God first in our lives, we will not hunger for what we do not have. We will not make ourselves anxious by yearning for what someone else has. The first nine commandments seem to talk mostly about what I do and how I behave. But this one goes deeper. This one is internal. This one talks about constraining what we think about. Constraining what we desire within our hearts. And it is just so difficult to control what we desire, what we think about. Do you remember the first time you fell in love? Think about it for just a moment. Might have been when you were in grade school. Might have been junior high or middle school. Might have been high school. The fascination with that person, you thought it would never end. You'd never get over it. But it didn't last. So how did you forget about that first boy or that first girl in your life? Well, if you're anything like me, you didn't get over it by taking those emotions out behind the house in the woodshed and strangling them to death. You fell in love with someone else. You get over things by falling in love with something else. And the Lord Jesus Christ helps me understand that the healing of my wants comes in much the same way. If I want to get over the dissatisfaction and the lack of peace I feel, 
about constantly wanting more out of this world, then I ought to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be yours as well, says the Lord. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For wherever your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So I don't think faith in Christ is so much sandbagging the dike so you can live within the constraints of the covenant. It's more like falling in love with the one who made you and the one who says, fear not. It is your Father's desire to give you the kingdom. So you see, less really is more. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor. Don't covet what belongs to your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Thanks be to God. Amen.